0: First John chapter four, verses 12 to 21 tonight. You guys remember what the book of First John is sometimes called, "The Epistle of Love." right? The Epistle of Love, written by the Apostle of Love. We've seen over and over again, John beats this same drum, right? Love, love one another. Um, last Sunday was no exception. you guys remember. matter of fact, let's just, uh, as a review. We'll we'll read verses uh, 7 through 12. That's what we covered on Sunday. I'm just going to let you guys say the word love again. Okay, remember? Here we go. First John, chapter 4, verse 7. Be loved. (laughs) Beloved, let us one another for is of God and everyone who is born of God and knows God. He who does not does not know God for God is in this the. Of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him in this is not that we God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if God so loved us we also ought to one another no one has seen God at any time if we love one another God abides in us and his has been perfected in us. John's all over this subject of love, isn't he? I think it was 13 times we counted in those verses there. John's closing point on Sunday in verse 12 was basically this, that when we don't just talk about love, but we actually show love by our actions, We make the invisible God visible to a dying world. You see at verse 12, it says no one has seen God at any time, but you could put in there, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. We just sang the song, Perfect Love. Tonight, we're going to learn about perfect love. Show of hands, how many of you feel like you pretty much have love perfected? (laughs) Well, I, I am quite good at loving myself. I'm really good. It's easy for me to love those who think like me, act like me, vote like me, speak like me. I'm very good at loving you when you are lovable. I'm very good at loving you when you're funny or attractive, or helpful to me, then there's the other 95% of the time. Most of us, I think, have a long way to go, right? When it comes to being perfected in love. But verse 12, verse 17, and verse 18, if you look, all of them talk about us being perfected in love, or having this perfect love. Now, what does that mean? See, when we see that word perfected, we think spotless, flawless, right? Completely perfect. Now, if that is what that means, then I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to close the book right now. Because how how in the world is that? I, I know that I am so far from that. It seems that it would be impossible. But this is talking about the love of God perfected in us. Well, I think this would help you. The word perfected there is teleo, and it can also mean complete. If you look it up in the blue letter, Bible it says to carry through completely, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end, um, to add what is yet wanting in order to render a thing full, to bring to a goal, a proposed goal or end. So in our text tonight, you can read the word perfected every time you see that you could. Read it like complete or grown up might be a good way to say it matured. And I'm thinking actually the probably the most the best word I can think of. Would be the word ripe. But without the big P ripe. Ripened. You guys remember in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches And he says, look, you just abide in me and you will produce much fruit. You will produce the fruit of the spirit. And what is the fruit of the spirit? The very first one on that long list of the fruit of spirit is love. Right. What's the first thing on that list that all the others are really just a variety of love? So John is saying, look, love when it is ripe becomes it's mature it's it becomes perfect now here's my question how do you know when love is ripe when it's mature well i think what john has been getting at this whole chapter is this love is ripe mature when it becomes an action not when it's just a, a an idea or a prayer or a thought but when it becomes an action remember how we learned that uh, anger is just murder in its embryonic stage. Remember that just a couple of weeks back? Well, you could say that love in its embryonic stage is just a prompting or a feeling, right? An inclination, an idea, maybe even words. But when love is ripe, when it is mature, it becomes an action. L- let me give you an illustration. <laughs> Let's say that you needed a new car and I had the money to buy you one. Okay, already this illustration breaks down. (laughs) But but let's let's pretend. If I were to say, um, look, I think I think maybe God wants me to bless you. Maybe maybe he wants me to to bless you with this car. Well, that's in terms of uh, uh, the fruit of the spirit. That's a bump on the vine, right? It's just an idea, an inclination. Maybe I pray about it for a little while and God confirms it. Well, it's still ripening. Maybe I even tell you, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I, I'm, I'm praying about giving you this car. Well, it's it's love, but it's not quite right. Right. But when I finally pull in your driveway and toss you the keys, love is ripe. It's mature. It's perfect. To quote that great theologian, Oscar Hammerstein. A bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song's not a song till you sing it. Love in your heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. Right? That's mature, ripened love. And look what happens, according to John, verse 12. Look what happens when love is just not thought about or prayed about or talked about, but it actually becomes complete, mature, ripe in action. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, if we actively, if we do things for each other if we show our love not just talk about it or pray about it if we love one another god abides in us and look his love has been perfected or matured or ripened in us Um, i'm going to give you a few as an outline a few a's this one is sort of a free floating a but it it totally makes sense to me here the first thing that that verse 12 tells me about perfect love that is ripe mature love is this that it makes an invisible God appear. It makes God appear. Love that is right, that is actually followed through with, makes an invisible God visible. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. Look, some of your unbelieving friends, if you're if you're honest, some of your unbelieving friends think you have an imaginary friend called God. Right. But. If we love one another in our actions, God abides in us and his love has been matured in us and it makes an invisible God visible. You following me? We're going to need to use our brains a little bit tonight. Um, There's there's some heady concepts in here, but I think they're worth exploring. He is the vine, right? And we are the branches. And I think verse 12 is saying The fruit is the thing that proves that he exists because the fruit is coming through us and popping out. Does that make sense? Perfect love that is mature, that is ripe. That makes an invisible God appear. It makes him apparent. But also notice verse 13. Perfect, mature, ripe kind of love gives us assurance. Verse 13. He says by this. And I think he's referring to verse 12. That is by ripe, mature love action. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. John says, look, when when the fruit of love pops out of me, it is not only to show God to others, an invisible God to other folks. But it shows that God is working through me. The vine, I'm attached to the vine and fruit pops out and it brings me assurance. I'm like, wait, I must be attached to the vine because that loving thing that I just did, that's not me. I know me. That's not me. That could only be the vine sending the sweet sap of the spirit. It says at the end of verse 13 through me. Right. It's the spirit that produces that fruit of love. So. When we let the love of God flow through us, it it pops out in our actions. It not only shows God to an, uh, an invisible God to a dying world, but it gives us assurance because we we saw it, too. Verse 14 and 15. Now, this was kind of where I got it took me a little while to figure out, OK, Lord, what are you saying? And where are you going here? Verse 14 and 15 seemed to, to me a bit parenthetical. Seems to be like if you put parentheses around 14 and 15, the rest of it makes sense perfectly. But you're like, okay, how does this work together? Notice, up till verse 13, John is talking about love, 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 right? And all of a sudden, in these two verses, he seems to be talking about correct doctrine. That seems a little bit of a left turn. Verse 14 And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God's abide, God abides in him, and he in God. And then he goes right back to talking about love being perfected. Do you see that? So the thing that I wrestled with is okay, why the left hand turn? Why the parentheses? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> but I, I do have one theory. But I, I want to wait just a, a few minutes to share that with you. First, let me just exposit, if that's a word, verse 14, as clearly as I know how, just just from the face of it. Verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. I don't know about you, but John, to me, is very clearly going, pushing the rewind button all the way back to the beginning. Right? This is fundamental stuff. This is the very beginning. This is basic training. And I think verse 14, he is speaking for himself and the other apostles, because if you look at verse 14, he can say that in a way that we can't. Yeah, we can say we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. We can say, well, we've seen it in the scriptures and we've seen it uh, in other people. But I mean, he can say, look, I have seen. Right. I think he's speaking for him, for the apostles and himself as an eyewitness. Remember. That was one of John's goals right at the beginning of this book. Right. He comes right out of the gate saying, look, I saw Jesus. I heard his voice. I sat at his feet for three and a half years. I saw him transfigured. We went up on that mountain and I saw him transfigured before my very eyes. I saw him pull back his humanity, as it were. And I saw the blaze of glory underneath. He says, look, I know where Jesus came from. I know that he came from heaven And I know that he put on real skin and bones. I know that he became vulnerable for me. I know that he died on a cross in my place. And I know that he's the one and only son of God. Verse 14, the savior of the world. John says, and I I hope we all agree here this morning or this evening. That Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the only hope for redemption that the world has. Now, some people will look at that phrase and say, he's the savior of the world. Well, that must mean the whole world is saved. No, no. He's the savior of the world, but not all the world wants to be saved, right? Well, I I thought of a way to explain this. Imagine Superman, who is that word uh, soterio, it means to rescue. It means to be a deliverer, right? Imagine Superman has the ability to save a city block from an earthquake. But some people in that city block say, look, I'm not going to let you fly away with me. Well, Superman is still the savior of the city block, but not all of them will be saved. Right. Those who chose not to be, he's still the savior, but they are not saved. Jesus is the savior of the world, but he will only be your savior if you agree with John's testimony. Look at verse 14 again. And we have seen, he says, I'm an eyewitness. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses. That's where I get that word. Agree. That's your second. A, by the way, <clears throat> and I'll give you a, a little better outline in a second. here. But it says, whoever confesses the word is homo logeo. It means to say the same. Whoever says the same that Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. See, John says, and again, this is fundamental. It seems like we're rewinding quite a bit all of a sudden. John says, look, if you want to be saved, if you want to be rescued from death, John says you have to agree with my testimony. Everything that I've told you in the Gospel of John, everything that I'm telling you now, you need to agree with my testimony, and that's this, that Jesus preexisted in heaven. He is God. He became a man. He's God with skin on. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death to pay for our sins. And he rose again in victory over death. You have to agree with all that stuff to if you want to be saved. And, of course, this is not John's testimony only, right? This is the testimony of all the all the apostles. All of them would would lay. They did. They laid down their lives. That's the word uh, is martyrio. It's to be a witness, and it also happens to mean murder. All of these folks laid down their lives for this very same testimony. Look, if you want to be saved, you must agree. Homo vogeo, you must confess the same that I confess about Jesus. Unless Jesus, matter of fact, not only John the apostle, but all of the apostles, but also Jesus himself gave that same testimony too, right? He said... There's many, many examples, but the most uh, obvious is when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father, but by me. And, And he said it probably even more directly to the Pharisees. Remember when he said to them, look, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Couldn't be clearer. But the key word here in verses 14 and 15. I think, is confess, confesses homologeo. It means to say the same. Now, here's might be again. I hope your thinking caps are on here. What in the world does this have to do with perfect love or mature love? Well, put your thinking caps on and and follow me. What I wonder is if John is backing up to the fundamentals here to show us where perfect love, Love begins. He's if this is embryonic form, he's saying, OK, let's go back to the very, very beginning. See, after asking the Lord over and over again this week to help me get this. This is what I came up with. And if you haven't taken an outline up until now and you'd like to, you could start now. I came up with four A's. That are a progression. Of the The perfect love that should be happening, the mature love that should be happening in a christian's life, the four stages if you will of the ripening of the fruit of the spirit that is love okay you with me here's the four a's so down the side of the page you, you could um you could write a a a a ah oh. okay first a ready if, if and that's the the other one is free floating the uh, it makes God appear. Here's the first one that that fits into this little uh, plan, this diagram. Agreeing. The first, the, where it all begins, is you agreeing with God. Look at verse 15, whoever confesses, whoever says the same, whoever homo agrees with me, John says, whoever agrees with me and the other apostles and Jesus himself. And by the way, God, the father, whoever agrees with us on who Jesus is and what he did for humanity and what he did for you. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, it says God abides in him and he in God. And there's your second A abide. Abiding. The first step is a- agreeing. And that leads to, and these are all progressive, leads to abiding. L- let me back up and phrase it this way. And, and if I'm speaking to any unbeliever in the room, hopefully this will be clear for you because I want it to be clear. I don't want anybody to miss out on the relationship with a holy and living God who loves you dearly. Agreeing with God is the key to abiding in God and He in you. Again, you guys remember from John 15. John 15, verse 1 and following, Jesus says to His disciples on the last day, that the last evening before He was crucified, He said, I am the vine and you are the branch. Right? The, the way that you become attached to to the vine is by agreeing right when we agree with God about his son and our need for a savior when we come to him and say you're right I am a wretched sinner I really do need help when we agree with him then he can abide with us or in us let me give you another example I think you would all safe to say You would all agree with this. It's really hard to live with someone when you fundamentally disagree. Right. Don't look at your husbands or wives. okay? But it's hard to live with someone when you fundamentally disagree with them. Right. So the first thing that needs to happen if you want Jesus to live in you is you guys need to agree. You need to agree that you're a sinner and that you're not going to get to heaven without him and that you need him. When we finally agree with him, when we surrender It says right here, he comes to live and abide in us. He takes up residence. First step is agreeing. And that leads to abiding. Him abiding in us and us abiding in him. So agreeing is the key to abiding. Now watch. Abiding, I think, is what produces agape. Look at verse 16. Agape is that perfect love. Let me let me back up make sure everybody understands. Agape is that perfect love, right? Four kinds of love. Just I'll make it as quick as I can. Most of you guys know this. Eros. Uh, these are different Greek words for for love. Here's eros, which we're familiar with. Erotic, right? That is not uh, uh, the God kind of love, meaning that it comes very naturally to us. Right. Uh, phileo, that's uh, brotherly love. Philadelphia um, is supposedly the city of brotherly love. Right. That comes very naturally to us. Um, storge, that's the love that a mother has for a, a son or a daughter. That comes very naturally to us. This agape love is the one where we're like, where in the world did that come from? It can only come from God. Okay? Agreeing leads to abiding, and abiding is what produces agape. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love, there it is, agape, that kind of love, that God has for us. John says, we have known and believed the the agape kind of love, that part that we don't deserve, we, we never earned. We've known and believed the love, the agape kind of love that God has for us. Interesting to me, verse 16, that he says, we have known and believed. I dare say that tonight there are probably, there's at least one, probably many more, where you know in your head the love that God has for you, but you kind of don't believe it in your heart. Meaning you would never be so bold as to say, I just what the Bible says. I mean, intellectually, you get it right. You know that God has this agape love for you because you know that he showed it for you on the cross. But is that knowing to the believing? That seems such a chasm to cross, right? Getting that reality from your head to your heart. They say what it's like the longest 18 inches in the world to get it from your head to your heart. Well, okay, I see it in the in the Bible and I believe it. But man, why is it? I mean, I believe it in my head. I know it. But why is it? I don't believe it in my heart. What do you do when you're in that spot? Well, follow me again. I hope your brains are turned on here. Turn real quick to first uh, John chapter one and see where John started when we when he opened this epistle right he starts right out of the bat no no hellos no uh hey it's really good to, to see you guys again none of that he starts right into uh, this this idea that look Jesus is real he's a real life person that I saw I touched I I uh, handled him I sat at his feet all of that now look at uh, chapter one verse three He says, that which we have seen and heard, he's talking about Jesus, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Again, track with me here. Do you guys see that there's a sense that John writes this whole epistle? He starts right off the bat. Verse three and four, it's kind of like. John is writing this letter as one who is in God's inner circle. And he desperately is trying to draw us in there. You see that? He's like, look, I I saw him. I touched him. He's real to me. I have this relationship with him. I have this fellowship with him. It says in verse three, and I want you to have that fellowship with him. And that's why he says, and these things we write to you, if that happens, if you have the same fellowship that I have with the living God, I promise you, your joy will be full. I'm enjoying fellowship with God and I'm writing that you might enjoy that also. Now, turn back to chapter four. And read now verse 16 from that vantage point. He says, and we I think he's talking about the apostles. Look, and we have known and believed this agape love that God has for us. I think he's he's saying to people, maybe like you and me, when we're in that spot where, oh, man, I'm not. I know of his love, but I'm not believing it. I'm not experiencing it. I think he's saying, look, here's the secret. We have. I'm telling you, I think John is saying, I don't just know this in my head. I believe this in my heart. John says, I am convinced. I am enjoying, maybe put it that way, the love that God has for me. He says, I'm experiencing agape. Okay, now maybe you say, well, that's great, John. I'm glad you're experiencing agape, but I'm still not. Are you just going to brag? Are you going to help a brother out? How do you know and believe the love that God has for you, John? Well, back up 1A, one letter. It comes from abiding. Agreeing is the key to abiding, and abiding is the key to agape. Agape the key to experiencing agape. I think John is saying, look, the reason that verse 16 is true in my life is because verse 15 is true in my life. You follow me? That's the only way that any of this left turn makes sense to me. So he's like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to track with you how this agape love, how I've been experiencing it and sharing it with other people. It's because I believe I agreed with God and I abide in him. And it just naturally happens as I abide in him. This agape love happens. And this, of course, takes us back to to the study in John chapter 15. Let me let me take it from John and put it to us as clearly as I can say it. If you want more agape in you. In your life, if you want more agape coming through you. This text and John 15 tell, tell you just abide just stay attached to the vine. If you want more and better and sweeter fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love popping off of you, stay closely attached to the vine. Now, what does that mean practically? Well, all of the usual suspects, right? Quiet time with him. Not because you have to, but because you're trying to abide. You just want to You want to abide, not because he's going to be mad at you if you don't, but because you want to abide in him. You want to stay attached. Read the word. I'm so thankful that this salt and light conference went so well. If I'm understanding it right, that's basically was the message for this last weekend, which is read the word and read it relationally. That is, you read the Bible and you have a conversation with God. As you're reading, right? Converse with God as you're reading, and then converse with God all of the rest of the day. Stay attached to the vine. And I know we said this perhaps a few million times, but it's an easy illustration and a good reminder. The fruit of the Spirit, like any other fruit, is not gutted out. I'm going to work really hard through the Spirit. No, it just happens from abiding. Attached, being attached to the vine. And I think John is saying, look, when you really begin to not just know, but believe the love that God has for you. That's when the sap runs through you. And that's when you begin to bloom and the, the fruit starts popping out all over. It begins to pop out in actions. Not just words. Not just ideas, not just warm fuzzies. But real Actions. And that is love that is full grown, that is perfect, that is ripe. And when you see that kind of full grown, ripe kind of love, that's what brings. Here's your uh, fourth A. You got agreeing, abiding, that leads to agape. And when that becomes mature, the fourth A is assurance. Because look at uh, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Agape, that is love in action, provides assurance. Because the fruit of, the, of agape love could only come from one place. God. So when you see that fruit popping out, you're like, I must be attached to the, the vine. Make sense? Real ripe fruit. Provides assurance because it shows you that you're attached to the vine. So, hopefully you're tracking with me now. Agreeing is key to abiding. And abiding is the key to producing agape fruit. And when agape fruit is ripe, that is love in action, it brings assurance. Look at verse 17. Love has been, there it is, perfected, mature, grown up, ripe. Love has been ripened among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. We explained that word boldness the last time we saw it. It literally means freedom of speech. It was a word they used in the Roman courts. If you were guilty, you did not have freedom of speech. But if you were innocent, you had this boldness. You could just. You weren't hedging your words. You weren't uh, freaking out and trying to make sure that you said it just politically correct, right? The illustration I gave you back then just a couple weeks ago was this, right? If you're a new person in the church, you you might come up after a a message and say, that was a great uh, sermon uh, message, Uh, Mr. Reverend, uh, preacher, uh, father. (laughs) It's like, okay, you don't know me, right? But my dad, my, my, my son comes to me and just says, dad. Right. He's just completely uh, has freedom of speech. He's not worried about how he's perceived by me. He's just himself. He's just real. Right. So it means verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have freedom of speech. We can be carefree. It would be a great way to, to phrase it. We don't have to be careful. We can be carefree in the day of judgment. Now, how many times have you had that those two words come together in your mind? Carefree in the day of judgment. But that's what he's saying. Love has been perfected among us. And this this love that is ripe in us. It's perfected among us that we may have we may be carefree in the day of judgment because as he is. So are we in this world to me? Once again, this goes back to the illustration in John 15. Remember the vine and the branch. And if I'm confusing you, I, I apologize. Maybe the best thing would be to go back and listen to uh, to the, the sermon at, on John 15, uh, the first few verses there. Because to me, this all is starting to make sense as I put these things together. But the vine and the branch. Do you remember? To me, this is the way that played out. Jesus, on the, the night of his betrayal, he looks at these. Eleven guys, motley crew, they're messed up, right? And he's looking back over the last, over at the time of his ministry. And what was the thing we noticed in the book of John over and over again? Was basically that for him, the father was the vine and he was the branch. Meaning he was, he was always attached to the father, right? How many times do we hear Jesus say, I see my father do something and I do it here. I see him do it in heaven. I do it here. I hear him speak and I say what he wants me to say here. He's like, I'm just an an extension of the father here on earth. Right. I only do what pleases my father. What I hear him say in heaven, I say here on earth. What I see him do in heaven. I do here on earth. He was saying over and over again, my father and I are always in constant contact. I am the extension of his will here on earth. Right. Okay, now follow me on this. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus transferred that mantle, if you will that privilege to the disciples, right? He said, look, now I'm the vine and you are the branch. And over the course of history, 2,000 years now, we're the ones, guys. We're the ones who we walk in this world, but with our eyes fixed on heaven and our goal is to be the same one that he achieved. We don't do it as well as he did, but it's still have the same goal, which is to be the extension of his will on earth. Right. I think verse 17 says, look, if you will let agape love and I, notice, I didn't say force. If you will let agape love ripen in you. If you will just be an extension, a branch through which the vine can deliver good fruit then you can be completely carefree about the day of judgment. Because it says, as he is doing in heaven right now, that is loving the world. That's what you're doing in the world. If you will just be his extension, then when he comes, he will find you doing exactly what he wants you to do, which is to be his extension in the world. I mean, isn't that amazing to think that we could be completely carefree about judgment day? Well, it seems to me if we let love ripen in us, if we let it become mature in us, it's possible. Look at verse 18, because he says there is no fear in love, but there it is again. Perfect. That is ripe, mature love shown in action. There is no fear in love, but but mature kind of love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Word fear, it's phobos, where we get the word phobia, right? It means fear, dread, terror. And I think in the context, it must mean particularly that fear or dread or terror of judgment day. Now, let's talk a little bit about fear. According to this this text, fear and love are like oil and water; they don't go together, right? Um, Or maybe more accurately, they're like weeds and grass. One will defeat the other. Right. Weeds say to your lawn or say to your grass in your lawn. This place isn't big enough for the both of us. Right. If you fertilize, if you water the grass, then it will crowd out the weeds. If you do nothing, the weeds will win. Right. So, too, when love is ripe. When it's popping off the branch because it's mature, It reminds you that you are attached to the almighty God, right? And when I'm attached to the almighty God, all my fear evaporates. Does that make sense? When I am actually loving with a mature love the way he wants me to, fear disappears. It says fear involves torment. That word actually means punishment or sentencing. Well, this is interesting. The the tense of the verb there... um, it says he who who, who uh, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Again, this is all passive tense, meaning uh, this is what God does in us. Right. Um, fear involves torment, punishment, sentencing. Jesus has already taken our punishment, right? He's already taken the sentencing. Yes, of course, if you're part of the, uh, the vine, there's still correction. There's still pruning, but not sentencing. It's not that kind of it's not punishment, but it's correction. Now, I think this is really not the main point. Again, I'm trying to stay focused on what the spirit is saying, but I think there is a side application here that could be really helpful for some of us. Maybe don't raise your hand. But if I were to ask you, I wonder how many would raise your hand to say that you're plagued by fear. Not necessarily the fear of the judgment day, but just fear. Fear of the future or finances. Fear of failure. Maybe fear that you'll be found out. I think you can set this scripture is saying you can set yourself on a course tonight that starts with an A and ends with an A. That will bring you to the place where you don't have that fear. Is that awesome? to realize that the fear that you're carrying around, you don't have to. He can set you on a course to do this. It starts with agreeing with God that you need rescuing and that you've only got one Savior and His name is Jesus. When you do that, He abides in you and you abide in Him, right? You foster that relationship with Him. And when you do that, all the rest is automatic which is this agape love will flow into you and through you and you'll begin to pop out fruit and as that fruit matures when that when that fruit becomes more than ideas or prayers or words or promises but when those that fruit becomes action this says that perfect love will cast out that fear it'll crowd it out like like a good St Augustine Law it's pretty amazing that he gives us this pretty easy to follow plan and and that really the first two steps are the only thing that we do, and even those are really easy. It's amazing how much responsibility for our future he takes. Awesome, all we really have to do is surrender verse nineteen. And that's what it says right here, basically, right? He does all the work because look at verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Once again, his love is n- never something that you can earn. If you try to earn his love, you're going to be really busy and very frustrated because you will find yourself failing every single time. It's never something you can earn. But verse 19 says that when you finally get it, When you finally understand how much he loves you and you surrender to it, you don't earn his love, but you want to return his love. Verse 20 and 21, I think, are kind of an addendum, maybe. And John has made this point many times already, so I'm not going to comment a whole lot, but look at verse 20. You guys are like, yeah, you're not going to comment. I'll believe that when I see it. Matter of fact, it looks like I actually do have a whole nother page. <laughs> Verse twenty: If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. OK, tell us how you feel, really feel, John. But we've seen this over and over again, right? John says, OK, here's the deal. There's a few ways you can know if you're saved or not. Here's one. You're going to love the brethren and the sister, right? You're going to you're going to love your brothers and sisters. If you don't, who, you're just kidding yourself. He's really simple. He says, look, if somebody tells you, look, I love God, but I hate that guy. He's a liar there. OK, next. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? He's talking again about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 12. Look, look back there real quick. He's like no one has seen God. Right. But God lives in us. So let me put it this way. If you can't love me, and I know that it's a job sometimes. okay. but if you can't love me and I'm carrying God around. I mean, granted, I carry him around in a dug tainted vessel. But I'm one of his carriers. I'm one of his representatives, right? John says, if you can't love God when he's inside an earthly vessel called a saint. John says, I'm not buying that you're going to love God when he's uh, invisible and you can't even see him when you can't lay eyes on him and maybe you say oh but you're wrong i can i mean i really can i really really love god i just can't stand that guy that god loves and lives in I, I just can't stand him well i almost hear john i don't know when you get to that point where you quit arguing with people i kind of hear john doing that in verse 21 he's like look if you need me to i'll remind you of this this commandment we have from him That he who loves God must love his brother also. And the word must is actually not in in there. But this is, he says, it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not something you get for extra credit to love the difficult people in the church. It's a commandment. The word must is in italics. And you're like, oh, well, the must is gone, so I don't have to love. No, no, no. (laughs) When you read it without, it says that he who loves God basically loves his brother. It's, it's a package deal. He who loves God loves his brother also. It's end of discussion. He who loves God will show it by loving his brother in his actions. Now, if that's convicting or you look at yourself and you're like, man, I, I really am a wreck. I'm, I'm so selfish. I don't love the way I'm commanded to. Is there any hope for me? I just want to remind you of one other factoid that you may have forgotten. John, of all people, would say to you, if there's hope for me, there's hope for you. You guys remember Luke chapter 9? You can turn there if you like, but you don't have to. Luke chapter 9, now it came to pass when they had come, time had come for him to be received up, that Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of Sam- Samaritans to prepare for him. But the Samaritans did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, our guy right here, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume these guys just as Elijah did? Can we torture him, please, please? Can we? Huh, huh. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Again, you hear Jesus' heart for humanity. So that's the guy who writes this epistle of love. That's where he was at one point. I dare say worse than you. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some of you have actually wanted to torch whole villages. I don't know. But that's where he was. But this is where he ends up writing this epistle where I don't know how many times if you count the word love, you're going to be a busy person in this epistle of love. How in the world did that happen, guys? Here's how I think it happened. He started out by agreeing with Jesus. Maybe at this very moment when he said, you know, you're right. I don't know what spirit of is in me. I am a wreck. And then it continued with him abiding with Jesus. For three and a half years, he abided with Jesus. He got to see how Jesus reacted in all circumstances. And you might say, well, I don't get to abide with Jesus. Oh, yes, you do. Matter of fact, we have it better. We can abide in Jesus and have him abide in us. Started with agreeing with Jesus and abiding with Jesus and what came naturally was agape love and that agape love when it became mature got to where he could write these verses to basically say I'm carefree about the judgment day that's pretty cool y'all that means there's hope for you and me agree abide let that agape love ripen in you and it will bring you assurance Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. <laughs> Lord, again, when we compare your love to our love, part of us uh, just wants to shrink down and, and, and hide. Lord, but when we realize that we are the object of your love, it changes everything. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, let your spirit reign tonight. Do well, you know every single heart? You know every situation. Do well, you know those who are plagued with fear? You've written a prescription tonight. Do well, you know those who don't know you? You've written a prescription tonight. Lord, you know every single circumstance and what we need. And you brought us here to this place by no coincidence, but by your divine decree. Pray, Lord, that every person, Lord, who hears your voice would respond in the way that you'd have them to. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.